When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to our second episode of Flushing is Burning. I'm Grace Carbone, and I'm here with Christian Romo. Christian, how you doing? Doing okay. I I was looking forward to seeing Otani at 9 a.m. before I forgot that MLB blackouts are a thing. And I can't watch the Angels or the Dodgers anywhere in my home. And that's, you know perfectly fine for me on most days because I'm not an Angel or a Dodgers fan, but uh, I would have liked to have seen Otani earlier today. Yeah, I I got hit with the blackouts. I was at work uh, a couple days ago on Saturday it was when they had the four o'clock game and I was going to turn it on just for a little bit before I left. And uh, it was on picks and SNY doesn't stream picks anymore. You can't get it on MLB, ne- MLB TV. So I would have had to airplay my laptop to the TV and that was too much work. Yeah, and for the record, I am I am not against the illegal pirating of uh, of streams in order to make it happen. Um, but I think my issue is that I'm getting close to 30 years old, and I just want to pay for a service that like shows a game. And I don't know how the SNY app works because I've never had to use it because I can just stream Mets games on MLB.tv. But how is the SNY app in general? It's not terrible. There's definitely still some bugs in there where, like, I'll click on stuff and it'll just stop working halfway through the game. You got to exit out and go back in. It's better than the Yes app, I'll tell you that much. Oh, that's good. Yeah. 
I don't watch Yankees games. I just want to put that out there. I use the, I use the, yeah, I use the yes app for the New York Liberty. Yes. The Nets as well. It's a basketball app for me as well. Yeah. It's, it's just deeply frustrating because a lot of Liberty games, that's the only way you can watch. And mm-hmm. uh, the app sucks so much. Mm-hmm. Dang. Dang. Well, uh, Yankees better get on that, I guess. <laughs> All right. So might as well get into the actual baseball part of this instead of just complaining complaining about the various ways we can't watch our favorite sports um they just they then within the last week since the last episode they've started their trip through all of the california teams so they started with the padres they took two out of three with in that series that was that was a fun series even with the loss it was and even the loss was competitive so it, it was the first bright spot of the season where you could definitively say that the mets were competitive against another competitive team and i i don't necessarily think it makes up for last october but you know it's nice to, to take two out of three from a really good team yeah i was at the i was at the monday game as i noted last monday when we uh, recorded and I guess I must have opposite jinx to them because they actually looked mm-hmm. good against Darvish for once. Mm-hmm. There was nothing more fun than being in the stadium for those two hits that landed right on the foul line. I've never had so it, it, just I was in the club. It was getting a little too close. I was in the club. Whole place erupted in cheers. It was so much fun. I screamed from my bedroom and I, my, my partner came running down asking like, what just happened? And I was like, the Mets hit a ball like 20 feet. I swear it's the coolest thing. And then they did it again. <laughs> it was, it was really fun. And I mean, they, you know, they looked, they looked, they're looking better than they did those for that first 10 games of the season. I mean, mm-hmm. this and against the A's, even yesterday when they kind of, you know, it was, it was a little touch and go there for a second. They still, they looked really good. It's always fun when you have a game where you score 17 runs. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that that 17 run game, like it, it could have been a lot worse because I remember thinking to myself as the game was going on, is this the worst pitching performance I've ever seen just from a single relay of pitchers? And then when when the walks crept up to 15 to 16 and finally to 17, thought, yeah, this is the worst pitching performance I have ever seen. Very sorry to all the athletic fans out there. And I'm glad that like they were able to show a lot more uh, competitive spirit in the next two games because I would have hated uh, two more blowouts. But uh, yeah, uh, the, the Mets faced off against what is quite probably the worst team in baseball. And regardless of how touchy it was for the, the Sunday game, they swept them. They did exactly what they needed to do and uh, can't really complain about that outcome. I gotta say, after watching the the A's these past couple games, and even seeing them like their Orioles series and stuff like that, I'm starting to think the ball's juiced again. Really? What makes it, you say it's that? It's just they're just they're scoring like six, seven, eight runs, and I mean those players are fun and they're like they're good, but also I don't know those balls are really there's there was certain hits where I was like that probably shouldn't have gone that far. Yeah, I. I'm I'm starting to wonder if Major League Baseball is selectively juicing um, because they they got caught in what was it 2019 um, with with the offensive explosion when it seemed as if the balls were being juiced on mass last year was a pretty down offensive year for everyone except for Aaron Judge and I, I think there was a a significant speculation that any Yankees games had juiced balls because the home run chase is marketable. And so I I wonder if 
uh, Major League Baseball is, is doing this for select teams, select stadiums, select games. Um, because I, I do think you're right. There, there are definitely moments where uh, Pete Alonso, like, doesn't sound like he makes hard contact, but then it goes 450 to dead center and it hits halfway up Mount Davis. And, and then there's other occasions where, like, Starling Marte is, like, hitting the crap out of the ball and somehow it's just not getting over the fence. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely not as bad as it was in 2019. You know, like, that no. was crazy. But and the whole thing about it getting – they kind of did prove that. I know Meredith Wills went on a pod of their own on our network here, and she was talking about it. I know they've done studies – a lot of those balls towards the end with the Aaron Judge thing were a, it, it wasn't juiced. It, it wasn't unjuiced. It was a secret third thing for some reason that it was mm -hmm. like the perfectly constructed ball. Mm -hmm. uh, like part of me is like, it's fun to be like, oh, they're doing this to like to 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 create these moments and stuff like that. Part of me thinks they're just too dumb to realize what they're doing because that seems to be sure. like the theme of the last 10 years of baseball it's just things happen because they're too dumb to realize what they're doing or they're too focused in this one path that they don't realize the ripple effects of this yeah um unintended consequences is kind of the theme of the major league baseball season this year huh uh yeah i i, I think that there is also a possibility that Major League Baseball just is incapable of constructing a baseball that is the same from game to game. Like they, they, they pretty clearly have been on the record saying all of our baseballs just come out differently because that is the way we manufacture them. Um, and it might have effects like this. I don't know. I'm not Dr. Meredith Wills. I haven't studied any of this, but uh, I, I do think you're you're on to something with with this idea that the balls might be juiced in in some instances. If the balls are juiced, even if they weren't juiced, I think Alonzo and Lindor would still be doing what they're doing, though. I mean, Alonzo, Alonzo's hit eight home runs in 16 games. That's insane. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's, that's, that's on pace for 81. And he would not hit 81, obviously. Like, once you get to a certain point, pitchers stop pitching to you. Um, but that hasn't happened yet. They're still pitching to Pete. What What's really funny to me about uh, Alonzo's season is that he's hit eight home runs. He's arguably one of the five best hitters in baseball right now. And he's not even close to the war leader on the Mets because that's just how good Francisco Lindor is playing on both sides of the ball. That's the thing. You know, Alonzo's insane as a hitter, I, I hope they lock him up for the rest of his career. I'd love to see Alonzo as a as a Met for the next 10 years, 15 years, however long he ends up playing. But Francisco Lindor is – Alonzo's a great hitter. He's not the world's best defender. And even if you are at first base, you know, it's not as important as shortstop defense. And Lindor is so insanely good at shortstop. I mean, I can't – I. I was a kid when Jose Reyes was playing and a lot of my memories of him are now tainted by what we know about him, but he was electric. But I mean, the best defensive shortstop the Mets ever had was Ray Ordonez. Lindor's given him a run for his money with some of the stuff that he is able to do. Yeah. Um, my memories of Ray Ordonez are couched in highlights because I was, I did not watch, you know, all 162 in 1999. But um, from what I recall, Ray Ordonez was the holy shit, I've never seen a play like this before. Whereas Lindor is just every single play comes to him and it's natural and you never ever worry about it getting done. Like he, it, he would be like Hank Aaron 
and Ordonez would be like Willie Mays. Like or- Ordonez is going to make the the highlight reel play every single night. But yeah, Lindor is just so silky, and he's in the right place every single time. I'm. It's. It's. I, I don't know if it's necessarily like a joy to watch him play defense because it's it's just so easy. But it, it is very comforting to to have a vacuum cleaner like him at shortstop. Yeah, and I mean, this past week has been obviously Alonzo Lindor tearing the cover off the ball. The, the offense has been looking better in general. I've you know, I've liked the way that everyone's looked pretty much this week. There hasn't, other than you know, obviously Eduardo Escobar has continued to struggle. Sure. Um, sure. But. The pitching has looked well, has looked good too. I mean, they pitched Peterson McGill and they called up Jose Budo, who last time he came up, they got the win, but he didn't look particularly pretty out there. Right. They all looked fine. Yeah. And uh, I think that's the key word because they all pitched well, but no one's ever going to trust them into the sixth inning. And I think that is the the Achilles heel of the Mets starters right now but for a while it was difficult to get a good five innings out of any one of their starters at least through the first couple of of times through the starting rotation I I wouldn't have expected this out of Peterson McGill Buto I think Peterson got the loss I think he was the only loss of the week but not on him like I think he gave up two runs and that's you know what you should expect out of someone who at best is your fifth starter. So I I was pleasantly surprised by how well all three of those players pitched. And I'm uh, w- w- the other thing that it does is that it gives the Mets a little bit more time. If Max needs some more rest, if Verlander needs some more rest, they can take their time coming back because they know that they'll could put Peterson, McGill, and Budo as starters and be in a decent enough position to win. Now, Budo is a little bit of a wild card because it was the A's after all. And not that the A's are a bad hitting team. They're certainly a better hitting team than they are a pitching team. Um, But I want to see him against better competition before making a declaration of him being able to stay as a spot starter for this team. Um, but yeah, I, I think they all pitched well enough and that's all you can really ask for, for three guys who weren't on the starting rotation at the beginning of the year. I also want to say that, and again, it's the A's, but Carrasco looked much better this time around. He did. Um, I, I, there were a couple of like mistakes early on, but having, seeing him settle down for like, you know, three straight innings is a start like you want him to go five or six obviously because he's supposed to be one of your you know five best rotation pieces but there is still no evidence of him being hurt or at least no one has said anything to the to the contrary but um yeah uh he uh, much like peterson mcgill and budo he pitched well enough um I don't know if there's anyone on the staff that like Mets fans would be excited to watch at this point, except for maybe Verlander, because everyone, including Kodai Senga, has shown their struggle so far. Um, but for a team that's starting to ramp up the offense, whose relief pitching looks really good, and whose defense like looks pretty excellent, having a starting staff in this spot with three guys potentially on the injured list is a a good position to be in for now. Yeah, and I mean, 
Peterson and McGill looking better is definitely uh, makes me a little more hopeful for the fact that now they're facing the Dodgers, but also they're facing the Dodgers next. Yeah. Um, and he, here's, here's the rub. Uh, we're recording this on a Monday, and by the time this episode comes out, the Dodgers series will be over. So I don't know how how um, prescient it would be to like preview a Dodgers series, but uh, yeah, I'm uh, I'm nervous because I've watched the Dodgers this year, and they're as advertised, not as good as years past. But I don't really care about that because the Dodgers <laughs> have the Mets number in the regular season for like the last few years that I've, I've watched them. So. Uh, I'm I'm not looking forward to this swing of the West Coast trip. Um, hopefully, they can take one or two uh, in Los Angeles. I think that is a successful series uh, from from my perspective. I mean, they're facing Syndergaard on Wednesday, and even if Scherzer doesn't look his best, Syndergaard's been looking mighty toasted. Yeah, uh, he, he's. I, I actually watched Noah in uh, his first start against the Diamondbacks. I went to that game and he looked really good. And I thought that the Dodgers fixed him. I might have to change my mind because he's, <laughs> he's, his fastball velocity is down and people are running all over him because that's just what they did before. And the problem's been exacerbated with these new rules. Um, but but yeah, I think I'm actually going to that Wednesday game. So uh, I'll, I'll report back with, with my Syndergaard thoughts. <laughs> And then uh, after Wednesday, they go to San Francisco. They they do their up again portion of the West Coast uh, trip, which is going to be it's it's going to be a little um, weird seeing Michael Conforto in a different jersey because he spent all of last year out with an injury. Mm-hmm. So we've never seen him in a different jersey. I mean, I see pictures of him in the Giants jersey wearing the number eight. It just looks bizarre, and it's like there's a little piece of me that's like a little heartbroken over that. Yeah, and not just Conforto. I don't know if you have the same sentimental feelings for J.D. Davis or Warmer Flores. Certainly Flores, but we've had uh, enough time to see Flores in different uniforms or like addicts. You know, that's normal. No big deal there. But uh, the Giants have found magic in the Mets casted off right-handed hitters. And what makes that even more like heartbreaking is that the Mets don't really have a, a good right-handed designated hitter at this point. They they have, in theory, a good left-handed designated hitter. Um, and Volgaback is certainly walking a lot, but he hasn't really hit very much. A, a Flores, a Conforto, a Davis, as they're performing right now for the Giants, would fit very well with this Mets team. Yeah, I mean, the part of me thinks that with Davis after the end of 2021 and how 2022 started that it just, he just needed to go somewhere else. Like that sure. it was just going to be too, too much of everything that was going on. It seemed like kind of a storm around him. I remember he did, he was part of one of those interviews they did at the end of the, the 2021 season where he was basically like, yeah, I, I give it like a 40% chance I'm back. Like he seemed kind of yeah. like up, like sort of like already mentally moved on from the situation, assuming that they were just going to trade him that off season. Um, Conforto, that was just a bunch of weirdness all wrapped. They should have extended him, but then he got hurt and, and the mm-hmm. Boris stuff and Sandy Alderson all at the same time was too much. The Flores one will always sort of stick in my my craw. I loved him. He was mm-hmm. he was my favorite player when I first got back into the Mets because there was a period of my teens where I, teens where I stopped watching. When I came back, mm-hmm. it was I loved I loved just 
everything about Warma Flores. He was just like the perfect player to root for. And I remember the day yep. that my, this is getting a little emotional. This is the day that my grandfather died. I was obviously distraught. He got one of his many walk-off hits for the Mets that day. And it sort of like made me feel very, very emotionally happy because my grandfather, huge Mets fan. So right. for me, he'll always be such like a big part of my heart that I think until he retires, seeing him in any other uniform is just going to be emotional. Right. And I think a lot of fans have that same sort of emotional connection to Flores. Um, I don't think there's been a player for the Mets, maybe Brandon Nimmo. Um, but e even then, I, I don't think there's been a player that has expressed so much emotional sentimentality and connection to the team that brought them up as Flores has for the Mets. And I, I'm, I'm not saying, you know, retire his jersey or anything. And in retrospect, I can I can see why the Mets didn't commit to him. He's not a terribly good middle infielder. So you're expecting him to be a third baseman, really. And I can understand why they didn't expect him to hit as well as he has the past few seasons. Um, and so I think ultimately, I'm, I'm, I'm satisfied with the, the Wilmer Flores arc. I'm happy that he's succeeding somewhere else, especially outside of the NL East, so don't have to you know face him too often. Um, I, I think the the one that gets me is is JD Davis and not necessarily because JD Davis was like worth keeping around, but because the trade for JD Davis ended up with uh, Darren Ruff and Darren Ruff is like, you know, back at it again with the Giants after doing basically nothing for the Mets. What a great trade for the Mets. The Giants ended up with every player they traded for for Darren Ruff and Darren Ruff. Yeah, I know. That's, I mean, I, I don't know if the Giants are actually cheating, but I mean, that's that's some wizard magic that they pulled off right there. Although, you know what? I gotta say, at this point, might, might not be a bad thing that they don't have a harder third base decision to make with Flores or Davis now that Brett Beatty has uh, exceeded even my expectations for when he'd be called up and is coming up to the Mets, presumably, nothing's been fully announced by the team yet, today. I, I have to wonder how that works. Like, who told who told Andy Martino this and why has no roster announcement been made yet? Like everyone is a hundred percent convinced that like, this is going to happen. I don't see a roster move. I don't see a lineup. I I'm going to hold out my doubt until this actually happens. But uh, yeah, all indications show that uh, Brett Beatty is coming up. Brady, Beatty just put up on his, uh, I just called him Brady. Beatty just put up on his Instagram page a hype video with on to the next hashtag LGM as his caption. So I've got to assume that someone in the organization knows that he's coming up and has told Brett Beatty. I just don't know what the move's going to be. Yeah, I don't either. And it, it's not just a, and I don't know what the move's going to be because it hasn't been announced yet, but I don't know what the move's going to be in that I don't know what the Mets are going to do. Like, like, who, what is the, what would you do? You play GM for a second. And here's, here's the other rub with this because the move is going to be announced later today. And by the time this airs on Wednesday, this is not going to be a mystery. So my incredulity is going to be fixed very, very soon. But again, Grace, what, what do you do in this situation? Who do you send down? Who do you trade? Like what, what makes room for Brett Beatty? In the immediate and a lot of people don't want to do this. And even part of me is like, I don't know. In the moment, it would be cut Tim LaCastro because really they're only using him as your Sunday starter, your defensive replacement, your pinch runner. 
that's where, you know, you add Brett Beatty to that situation, then you have a little bit more to move around. But I think, I, I don't know what they're going to do. If you had a little more time to do this, the, the real move would be, and I, again, don't like to say this, would be to find someone who might want to bite on Eduardo Escobar, eat some of those money, yeah. because you're essentially then just making a one-for-one swap in your uh, roster construction. I genuinely don't know what they're going to do. Um, I think that there's, they could cut LeCastro. Weirdly, they, some people have been saying cut Vogelback, which I don't think they do because he's one half of their, their constructed DH platoon. Mm-hmm. They could option Luis Guillorme, which would be absolutely bizarre at this part, but I could yep. see them do it. Yeah. The, the, the Guillorme one, unfortunately, is the one that I think some analytics heads could convince the GM that like, this is what you need to do. Not because it's like what makes this the best team, but because he's got an option. And so you don't lose a player. Um, you you can send Yorme down and bring him back up at any point. Uh, I think if you send LeCastro down, you're putting him on the waiver, ri- w- the waiver wire. I can't pronounce my W's and my R's very well. You're putting him on the waiver wire. Someone's going to pick him up um, because even though Tim LeCastro cannot hit at all, speed is valuable and he's an automatic stolen base in the late innings of the pinch runner and someone's going to want that. So um, trading Eduardo Escobar would be the best move. I don't know how easy it is to trade someone who's hitting, is he hitting under 100 right now? I'm not entirely sure like where he is, but he's he's not exactly the most attractive trade option. Uh, Eduardo Escobar is hitting a cool 125. Oh, good for him. I'm glad he's above the 100 <laughs> line on the interstate, which we recently learned is just a Keith Hernandez phrase. <laughs> it's just, it's, it sucks because I like all these guys, but at the same time, like, I like Brett Beatty too. Like part of me again, yeah. I'm a very, I'm a very like emotional. I get, I, I'll cry if, if the wind changes directions. I just, but part of me is like, He's like the young guy. I remember when he got drafted, you know, it was again right after mm-hmm. I started really paying attention to baseball. I remember when he got drafted, seeing him come through things, and then also the memories of like the last time the Mets had like a really stationary third baseman who just stayed with who was the the Mets's guy from the get go was David Wright. And so it's you know, mm-hmm. and you don't want to put those expectations on him, but also mentally somewhere in your in my subconscious, I'm putting those expectations on him. The entire fan bases, um, and they they want stability at third base because they have found stability at shortstop. They found stability at first base. Um, McNeil theoretically presents you stability at second base if he weren't such a useful outfielder as well. And it, it, Brett Beatty for a lot of people feels like the final piece that everything is going to be set the minute that Brett Beatty gets in there. And eighth, I think that's putting a little too much pressure on the guy. He, he might need to like, you know, come up and hit before we can make any grand proclamations about his long-term viability on this team. Um, but I, I think the other thing is that Brett Beatty is going to come up and there's a possibility that he turns into Austin Riley, but then there's a possibility that he looks like Alec Bohm. And we don't exactly know like what what this is going to 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 turn out to be, but I would I would hope that people temper their expectations, don't get too emotionally attached to rookies because there there's a very uh, good chance that they're going to come up and look like rookies, and that's okay. That that's fine. That's a natural part of player development. 
Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I j- am just asking fans to like, you know, if he goes one for 12 to start off his major league career, don't like, you know, uh, throw pitchforks at him. I don't think people throw pitchforks, but you know what I mean? Well, the, the fan base is, I've seen some people online already metaphorically throwing pitchforks at Francisco Alvarez. So I think if Beatty comes up and doesn't immediately hit 340, he's going to be, there's some people who are going to be very, very mad and are going to call yeah. for him to be cut. Yeah. And, uh, and that's, that's too bad. And I'm, I understand the, the frustration with Alvarez because the, the issues are obvious. Like it's very clear what pitches Alvarez is struggling to lay off of. It's very clear, like when his defensive lapses happen, that those, those are the lapses that a rookie would make. And I think these things can be improved with over time. Uh, but, but yeah, if I, I can imagine uh, the, the patients boiling over if baby comes in, you know, does, or has a similar efficiency as Alvarez does, but um, I'm, I'm still hopeful for, for Alvarez, still optimistic that, you know, uh, getting him in for, you know, another month will, uh, will help turn the ship around. I don't know if Buck Showalter is going to give him that run, um, but uh, we'll see. I mean, he's been, the last couple of days, I thought he was getting good bat to the ball. Like he was, there was that a couple of times yesterday where I was like, oh wow, that's a pretty hard struck ball that just happened to go right at someone. So I think it's just a matter of time, hopefully. But again, like you said, if Buck doesn't want to play him, you know, then Buck's not going to play him. And then we're just, he's just stuck sitting on the bench waiting for his once or twice a week where he gets to, you know, hopefully try to prove himself. And I think that that's just, you know, not going to help this whole situation if he's sitting there going oh i got one day a week to show that i'm really made you know i'm really worth something and then he swings at every high fastball he sees which is yeah. not a uncommon problem for rookies to have remember when p came up for like the first yeah. year two years even sometimes now he swings at a pitch and i'm like what are you doing yeah it this happens. is this is this is rookie stuff and i'm not saying that derogatorily i'm saying he's a rookie and he's going to do some rookie things i think what what really exacerbates uh Alvarez's pitch selection is that the Mets are a very patient lineup. Like these veterans don't swing very much at all, but especially at bad pitches, the Mets take a lot, a lot of walks. And so when you put a free swinging rookie in the lineup, it only magnifies that issue. It would be one thing if you know, Pete and Lindor were on a 200 strikeout pace because you could compare that to what Alvarez is doing and still think, oh, he's on the right path still. Like, it's okay that he's striking out this much because that's just what big league hitters do. But the Mets aren't striking out a lot. They're walking a lot. And if he's not if he's not doing the same thing, it, it feels like a really, really bad fit in the lineup as it appears. But again, he's played like, five games like let's 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 chill for a sec yeah i'm totally agree with everything you just said i'm looking at the time and we have so blown past through the arbitrary limits that we put upon these sections so why oh, don't we no. take a little bit of, yeah we're really far past it um that's fine um why don't we take a quick break and then we'll come back and we'll get into the next portion of the show 
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. And we're back. Um, we'll, we'll keep this portion a little bit, a little bit shorter to to, to compensate. But uh, one thing that I want to talk about because I don't think it's been examined very much is how poorly Brooks Raley is pitching. Um, by any indication, Brooks Raley was supposed to be one of like the core bullpen arms for the Mets this season. He was certainly the go-to lefty and still is the go-to lefty in the bullpen. But uh, let's take a look at how he's been pitching so far. Uh, So Brooks Raley has a 65 ERA plus by – Based off of the players left in the bullpen, minus, you know, Dennis Santana, who's been DFA'd, uh, Tommy Hunter, Steve Nagosik on the uh, IL, that's the worst mark in the bullpen this season so far. And again, small sample size because he's only made eight appearances so far and he's only pitched five and a third innings, but he's given up seven hits, four earned runs, four strikeouts. Uh, he has an 8.39 fielding independent pitching, which I understand is a mark that is not uh, very descriptive of relief pitchers. Um, but by any indication, Brooks Raley is not pitching uh, very well. And in a small sample size, you know, no big deal because a, a player of his talents can, you know, easily bring it back up. The reason why I want to bring this up is I want to ask you grace how you feel about brooks Raley not pitching well because we've we we've talked about this um you know preseason. if if you're unaware brooks Raley is a bit of a touchy subject with myself especially uh he was one of the five tampa bay rays who during a pride event at tropicana field last year refused to wear a patch on his hat um that signified uh the the pride flag and he's gone on the record saying that he doesn't want to uh, stand up for that because of his Christian values. And him signing for the Mets this season was a bit of a disappointment on my end. And I went into the season disappointed that this signing happened, but also committing to not rooting against him, hoping that the Mets would do well despite uh, Brooks Raley, but 
I think I'm feeling a little differently about that. So I, I want to ask you, like, what's your reaction when you see Brooks Raley struggle? It's, it sucks because I'm, you know, a Mets fan. I want to see the Mets succeed, but it sucks less than other pitchers, I guess would be the way I'd put mm. it. Like other pitchers, I'm like, oh man, that, that sucks. If, if they, if he does really well, I'm like, let's go Mets. If he does really poorly, I'm like, mm, well, that, that happened. And then I'm mm-hmm. right back at it again, you know. Maybe if it came in higher leverage moments than uh, April games that mm. might not mean much at the end of the season, maybe then I'd feel differently. But right now, I'm like, mm, maybe maybe pitching better should be part of your Christian values. <laughs> I thought that. <laughs> um, I think your your comment on leverage is like really key here because so far, none of his appearances, I believe, have come at the expense of a Mets victory. I believe he's won in every single appearance uh, the Met, he's made, or the Mets have won in every single appearance that he's made. Um, and he's not given up like a, like a really big inning, but he hasn't looked good. And I didn't think at the beginning of the season that I would be rooting for Brooks Raley to do poorly. I'm doing that now. I'm, I'm going into every Brooks Raley appearance wondering how can he mess this up in a way that does not hurt the Mets? And it's a very weird feeling to have. It's a very convoluted feeling to have. And I don't know if I'm proud of that feeling. This is just simply an emotion that comes up when I watch him pitch. I don't want him to succeed. I don't want him to fail so much that it comes at the expense of a Mets loss. But I want Brooks Raley to pitch poorly enough to take his $10 million contract elsewhere. I think that's where I'm landing on this. My thing was, even when they traded for him before the uh, before the season, my thought was always, it's never a great sign when the Rays are willing to move on from someone. Mm. Um, you know, because they, they traded him. It wasn't, it, you know, they actively said, we do not want you here anymore. We We don't. Whatever the reasoning was, and the Rays aren't ones to just, you know, because I'm pretty sure all those other pitchers who were part of that that protest are still there. Um, don't think it was because of that. So my my thought was then was, mm, how's this going to go? I just looked at his game logs. Really, the only big blow up was the one game where he gave up the four runs. Not like he's looked mm-hmm. particularly great since then, but mm-hmm. it, it he's only been in two losses one of them he gave up four runs in the milwaukee game that the mets lost nine nothing um which mm-hmm. was already a lost cause by the time he got in that game but sure. yeah it's it's i i agree with you i'm part of me hopes that he can that this keeps keeps moving in this direction and then uh for for however they do it whether they cut bait they trade him whatever that this works well enough that he leaves because it's not like it's not like they have no one else who can do that. I mean, they've they every single time David Robertson comes into pitch, they talk about his reverse splits. So it's not like mm-hmm. they don't have anyone who can't get lefties out, and they have, you know, they have several good relievers. They can they by the time the trade deadline comes, they can find a whole basket of them. There will be right. so many relievers available on the market. I don't want this specific reliever because I nope. don't like him. Nope, and I. Uh- I also want to examine like this specific feeling as well, because this is the first time I felt this way about a Mets player. And this isn't the first Mets player that I have found 
odious. This isn't the first Mets player that I've had negative feelings about, but this is the first Mets player whose success I'm actively rooting against. And uh, this could be a, a, um, a result of me getting older. This could be a result of me having stronger feelings in one direction, but I, uh, it, it feels as if like there is this, this weight on me where I need to better represent like my own personal interests through my fandom. And the best way to do that right now is to advocate in any way possible for Brooks Raley to get off this team. Um, and then I think there, there's a possibility that I might regret that, especially fandom wise, because like the Mets have a good bullpen right now, but it's relying really heavily on three arms in the back end. And that's not a sustainable practice for, for the Mets to have. Having an effective Brooks Raley goes a long way for a bullpen that's missing their best arm. So I, I, I do think there, there might be some regret in me if like he ends up pitching well and I end up, you know, feeling good about that for, for whatever reason, I reserve the right to have those feelings change. Um, but yeah, I, I find it very odd that like after years of watching Daniel Murphy and Jose Reyes, uh, whose success I never rooted against despite having, you know, negative feelings about them as people that it's starting up for the first time in my life with, with this particular picture. Yeah, I mean, I, like I said, there was a period in, in my teens when I stopped really paying that much attention to baseball. So when Daniel Murphy made those comments, uh, I wasn't really that in, into baseball at the time. The same thing when all the mm. Jose Reyes stuff really happened, I wasn't really into it. I mean, sort of getting back into it in like 2018, the last season Jose Reyes was here. But, you know, th- this... There's there's other players on the team right now that we know that that's what they believe also that the stuff that they be- that Brooks Raley believes is pre- very probably what they believe too. I'm Brandon Nimmo, right. but I love Brandon Nimmo because a he doesn't broadcast that. Like he's not like he's out there yeah. being like oh, I I fucking hate this. When the when the Mets took the field in the rainbow shirts, he just wasn't there. And you know that could yeah. be that he just wasn't out there, or it could be that he didn't agree with it. But there's enough plausible deniability that I don't have to look at him and see that in my mind every single time. When I look at Brooks Raley, I I remember the statement that was put out by that group of players, and I remember the the jersey that you could see the patch ripped off of in the five of them with their different hats. Like I can picture that all in my head, and I just see it when I look at his stupid little face. Yeah, you don't even have to quibble about this. Like it's, I think it's objectively true that people who express their bigotry do more harm than people who keep it hidden. And I don't want to have players who have hidden bigotry because bigotry is bigotry. But it, they are, they do, they they affect less negative than they affect less negatively than those that broadcast it, i.e. a a Brooks Raley type. So I I don't want to harp on it too much. I don't want to feel like too negatively about uh, this team. And I I, I think I might feel bad about this the minute that like uh, he comes in in a high leverage spot against the Braves and the Braves like, you know, steal a game from the Mets if he doesn't pitch well. But like, yeah, I've I, it's it's a weird feeling that I'm having. I'm finding myself actively rooting against a Mets player and uh, not entirely sure how to feel about that. It's just, 
you know, he was, it's what, if he stays the entire time is what, an extra, it's a year. So hopefully next year we never yep. have to see his face again. And I'd love yep. to see it happen sooner. I, in my mind, I'm already imagining the different relievers that the Mets could trade for and, and shoot Brooks Raley into the sun. Uh, if I knew relievers better, uh, I, I would have your imagination as well. But I'm not that versed <laughs> with the rest of the MLB relief pitching landscape. If Daniel Bard is is back and doing well, I'd love to see him on the Mets. He seems like a cool guy. Uh, oh, he's the he's the Phillies guy, right? No, Daniel Bard's the guy with the Rockies who was uh, he was the one who had the yips and then disappeared for oh. a while and came back and didn't have the yips anymore and then maybe had the got the yips a little bit in the World Baseball Classic and is on a uh, on the injured on the reserve list, I guess or whatever it is. Um, he's taking time away from the game with anxiety, so I hope he's doing well. I hope he gets back to the way he's been going. And I, I, again, he's, this is the last year he signed a two year extension with the Rockies a couple years ago. I think this is the last year that you'd love to see him on the Mets. He seems like a great guy. Shout out Daniel Bard. Apologies <laughs> for my ignorance. This is going to show up pretty constantly with relief pitchers. All right, and now uh, that I've said gonna... he's a great guy, he's going to milkshake duck. Sorry, I keep cutting you off while you're trying to cut us off. Oh, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Um, we're going to take a break now. Shout out Daniel Bard. Uh, we're going to come back with a, a little more banter. Um, but until then. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right. And we're back once again. Um, what we didn't talk about in the second uh, part, which I'd like to just do a little bit of coverage on since we are a, a you know, queer podcast, is uh, that Bud Light just sucks ass now, apparently, according to uh, those the makers of Ultra Right Beer. Nice. Um, <laughs> did it did it not suck ass before? Was I missing something? I don't drink beer, so I have no idea how any of these things taste. So I just go by the cultural the the cultural views. I know people who who drink Bud Light and they seem to enjoy it. I don't know what that says about them, but I don't know what any of this means. I I need to ask because I only discovered who Dylan Mulvaney was thanks to a cursory Wikipedia search this morning. Did you know who Dylan Mulvaney was before this news broke? Sixteen days ago, by the way. That's how long the story's been in the cycle. Yeah, I was I was I was aware of her. I've become aware of her maybe last year when she started the the transition I, I that, you know, became sort of like a cultural touchstone in certain areas that I did sort of so I'm terminally terminally online so i did mm -hmm. i did see her and and from what i understand this was literally just an ad that was on her tiktok page and and that was it <laughs> and now this is 
the biggest controversy since name a controversy is probably two weeks ago that they also got mad about some rainbow on something. I, I, I only ask because I, I also watched the clip and the clip is surprise innocuous. Nothing happens <laughs> in it. She makes a few jokes about how she doesn't know what March Madness is. It's, it leans a little bit close to sports ball, but it, it, it's just a 45-second nothing clip advertising Bud Light. And I, I'm asking you if you knew who Dylan Mulvaney was before this clip was released, because from what I've seen of her, she doesn't seem that controversial. Is Does, does she say outlandish things? Does she dress in, but and dressing provocatively like does not you know merit any sort of harassment. But does she do anything besides be trans that people are upset about? Yeah, no. I mean, the 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 biggest thing that she had done before this that that again every once in a while a clip of her would go viral. Um, because some some conservative would get really mad about it because she would do she did like a series of videos that she she might still be doing. I don't follow her that closely, but I do, I do see her pop up on my feed every once in a while. Um, whatever day it was since her transition, you know, on the 27th day of being a woman, on the 151st day of being a woman, it's just little things where, you know, she's talking about her transition and, and everything like that. And it's generally pretty innocuous stuff um, that people get really mad about. Maybe she'll make like a little joke or do a little satire and then they take it very seriously and better, very literally. I know she had one that went viral that was like, um, her being like, oh man, I'm out of tampons again. And if you watch it, you can see that she's being so as like sarcastic and like, this is, yeah. oh, haha, we're having a joke. And then every right. single conservative got pissed off about it. Yeah. I, I just, I feel, I, I hope she has a very thick skin. I hope she has people <laughs> protecting her because she, uh, she seems delightful. She, she seems funny. She seems, uh, perfectly okay with who she is and i love that about her and this is just me based off of that single 45 second ad that i saw um i and i'm i'm glad that the the news cycle has brought out a lot of the conservative hypocrisy that we've been seeing for the last few years being boiled down into this hatred for light beer um but it's it's, it's such a, a weird and disheartening, but also kind of funny story because like, I, am I supposed to defend Bud Light now? Like, I don't have <laughs> any connection to Bud Light. I don't want to drink it. I'm sure it's okay. But like, I is, is, is that my place in the culture war right now? Do I just ignore this? What, 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 tell me what to do. I don't know what to do with this. What's so funny is that every single way that the people who are angry at her are reacting is actively like so ridiculous when you give it 0.3 seconds of thought so the people who are buying tons of bud light just to destroy it which is always a favorite of mine in the boycott cycle mm -hmm. where we buy a million things to, to, to destroy it but anheuser-busch does not care what you do with their product once you buy it they just care that you buy it you are actively helping them here um the people who are going well i'm not drinking it i'm gonna drink this other beer and it's either something that's owned by Anheuser-Busch that you don't realize is owned by Anheuser-Busch so because they own like half the beer in America or yeah. it's another brand that has also actively done like like queer uh, advertising so mm -hmm. you, you the thing that you're mad about with this one company another company is doing that you're allowing them to buy or 
personal favorite, we're going to create our own version of this that people mm. have now realized the, the, through a tiny bit of research that um, where ultra-right conservative beer is brewed is Northern Illinois, which presumably <laughs> people have figured out is Chicago. Uh, because if it wasn't Chicago, they'd just name the town in Illinois. But if they say Chicago, then they'll get pissed off that they're doing stuff in Chicago. Mm -hmm. um, and of the two major breweries in Chicago that would be able to do this, um, the <laughs> One of them is Anheuser-Busch. So they're just making <laughs> Bud Light <laughs> and that's, giving more that's money awesome. to them. That's so awesome. It's, it's just, it's so funny. Every single bit about this is so funny. And what's the funniest part is that we're what, a week into this controversy? We got like another week and then it's over. Uh, yeah, I'm, <laughs> um, I'm, I'm tickled by it. I'm, I'm saddened by it. It's awful. Everything about it is awful. But there's a little bit of funny in it too, and I'm, I'm, I'm so glad that you see it a lot funnier than, than I see it. I, I see it as a very violent and unnecessary harassment of uh, an innocuous TikTok star. But, um, I, I, I guess if I had any beer opinions, then I'd feel a, a little bit differently about this. Yeah, I, my other thing is I know, I again, the little I, I know about her, I've seen her reactions to the, the ways that other people have sort of picked on her and, and tried to try to tear her down or whatever. And she does seem to have like a very thick skin and good, good sense of humor about it all, where she sees sort of the ridiculous nature of it. And she, she's fine. She's got like a million and a half followers on TikTok. She'll be fine. Oh, awesome. Like, awesome. she's she's perfectly good that's the reason why they got her to do the ad because she's got a she's got a million followers on tiktok she's yeah. fine awesome well uh shouts out dylan mulvaney thanks for making everyone mad um thanks for bringing some <laughs> some 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 humor into the culture war uh, yeah we'll grace, see you in the culture war again in about two and a half months love it uh grace do you have a movie for us this week uh, yes, I do. I feel kind of bad because I meant to rewatch this movie this week. I haven't watched it in a little while, but I am still going to recommend it because it's culturally somewhat relevant. Um, I had read the book Daisy Jones and the Six, and I just recently watched the uh, series that they made based on it on Amazon Prime. Series is very good. The book's very good. Interesting story. The show's like, I've got some problems with the show, but generally I had a great time with it. Riley Keough is a star. What I want to recommend is the 2000 film. Let me just make sure I get this year right. It doesn't matter. Everyone knows this movie anyway. Um, yeah, the 2000 film by Cameron Crowe, Almost Famous, which has very similar vibes to uh, Daisy Jones and the Six, while also being like a complete masterpiece and such a fantastic film. Um, fantastic. Great soundtrack. The performances are amazing. You've got like a little teeny tiny small role from Philip Seymour Hoffman, just again, giving it his all. Kate Hudson's fantastic in it. I think she got nominated for the Oscar for it. She's great in that movie. But it's if you are if you like Daisy Jones and the Six, and or even if you just like seventies music and and good movies, this movie is fantastic. The screenplay, just like most Cameron Crowe movies made before he got bad, the screenplay is amazing because he's very inspired by Billy Wilder, and I always love that sort of like kind of snappy but also in, like insightful uh, screenplay. So almost famous. If you haven't seen it, watch it. If you've seen it, watch it again. You throwing Cameron Crowe under the bus at the end there. I'm not going <laughs> to let that slip. This is the man who directed We Bought a Zoo. <laughs> they sure did buy that zoo. I'm so glad they did, too. <laughs> he also directed Aloha, where we got the uh, absolutely amazing no. casting of a part Chinese woman, Emma Stone, uh, right oh, up no. there with 
um, Scarlett Johansson playing a uh, an Asian character in Ghost in the Shell. Those two came out very close to each other. It was a very weird time in like the film landscape to have to look at those two things and just go, oh god. The only I'm looking at a Wikipedia page right now. The only Cameron Crowe movies I've seen are Say Anything and Jerry Maguire, and I happen to love both of those movies, and so I'm willing to give him some benefit of the doubt. And how does almost how does almost famous compare with with those two? Okay, so I adore early Cameron Crowe. Like you go back before Elizabeth Town is probably the cutoff. Vanilla Sky I think is fantastic. In my mind, Say Anything, Jerry Maguire, Almost Famous are like a trilogy where this man made three of the greatest movies ever made. Like in, in my opinion, they're they're all three are in my top fifty. I think they're all fantastic films. If I were to rank them, Almost Famous would be number three, but that's only because I love Jerry Maguire and say anything so much. And they're both in my top 15. Like that is, I'm so serious about those two movies that almost famous being like number 45 or whatever on my list. It's still so fantastic. I, uh, I also have to point out <laughs> Cameron Crow uh, went to Claremont high school in San Diego. That's where my mom went. Uh, <laughs> I, I have no idea if they crossed paths. I'll have to ask her. I mean, he was also, he wasn't in high school a lot as a kid because Almost Famous is based on his real life. He, at age 16, wrote for Rolling Stone. So he followed around, what band was it? The Almond Brothers. He followed the Almond Brothers around on tour when he was 16. He was writing big articles for, for Rolling Stone at 16. And then at a certain point, um, at 22, I'm looking on his Wikipedia page as, as well. At 22, he went undercover in a high school to write Fast Times at Richmond High. This man has so... It's like the craziest life ever. He married um, Nancy Wilson from Heart. It's just amazing. Oh, this this is making a lot more sense now. Cameron Crowe did not go to Claremont High School. He went undercover at Claremont. Yep. I'm seeing this a lot more clearly now. So Fast oh, Times man. at Richmond High is based on late 70s Claremont High School. My mom was in high school in the late 70s. I wonder if there's a character like based off of her. She was a valedictorian too. I need to ask her these questions. This is very important. <laughs> yeah, so uh, you know what? Now, my recommendation is every film Cameron Crowe made up until Vanilla Sky. If you want to watch any one of those, go for it. Yeah, I've, I'm already halfway there. So I, I'll... <laughs> I think I'll give Almost Famous a shot. Do you know where I can find Almost Famous? I will look that up right now. It's typically it's a I mean, obviously, yeah, the, the uh, any, you know, Amazon, YouTube, they probably have, you know, those for rent, I'm I'm sure. I'm just trying to find a way yes. not to pay $3.99 for a movie. Yeah, so it looks like it's on Paramount Plus. It's also on the Roku channel for free. Oh, um, hey. Yeah. So that probably has commercials in it, but still, that's totally free. You don't need a subscription for that one. Nice. I don't care about commercials so much. I'm, I'm cool with those. <laughs> as long as they put them in the right spots. Yeah. Speaking of commercials in the right spots, I think we should probably <laughs> end our second episode. Uh, any, any last uh, words before we take off? I'm um, hoping that the rumors are true and Brett Beatty's in the lineup tonight. And if they aren't, I'm going to be very sad. Well, you're going to have to wait until 10 o'clock your time to find out because <laughs> the Mets are on the West Coast. Yeah, so I'm going to be up until 2 a.m. Love it. Love it. All right. Uh, well, thanks, everyone, for listening. We, we truly appreciate 
uh, your your patronage. We do not have any way to talk to us right now. We'll we'll definitely look into an email or a Twitter account very very soon. Uh, but until then, let's go Mets. Let's go Mets. <laughs>